You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Well, welcome to this week's Momentum. It is Tim and Daze with you once again. How are you today, Daze? You well? I'm really good, man. It's really wonderful where I am. It's really wonderful where you are, which is in Port Macquarie. Tim yeah. is in Perth, by the way, That's so we're exactly right. doing this through the magic of technology. But uh, I'm very That's excited uh, this week, Des, because our guest in the studio is a good friend of mine, and uh, I'm very excited to talk to him and a bit about his life. And when I tell you a bit about all of that, you'll understand why. He's been a, a tradie. He's been a port safety advisor. He's had his own business. He currently works as an investigator and health and safety consultant for DFES here in uh, WA. He also is currently an associate pastor. He's pastored in four churches. He's been a pastoral supervisor. He's been a school chaplain. He is a counsellor and a couples counsellor. He's counselled and mentored elite basketball players and coaches. And he's been a counselling consultant at three churches. He works through the 12-steps program with individuals and groups struggling with sex addiction. He's a marriage and funeral celebrant. He's some of the he's had some of his writing published in a study Bible and is author of two books as well. And on a personal note, he's been divorced, he's remarried, he's a father of four, a grandfather. He's also experienced the loss of a child. He's experienced trauma, PTS, and bullying from within the church. He's a reformed alcoholic and a former bodybuilder too. You should see his calves. That's a different story. It is a great pleasure to welcome <laughs> to Momentum, Pastor Steve Wickham. How are you, Steve? Oh, so good, Tim. Um, yeah, thank you for that introduction and, and hi to Des as well. Yeah, hi, hi, man. I don't know about you, Des, but when I just hear all of that stuff, I'm like, I don't know what I've been doing with my life. Uh, you've you've packed a lot in there, Steve. It's it does yeah. sound like a lot, doesn't it? But um, I suppose I'm I'm my 54 year old self, and uh, yeah, that's my life. Yeah, that's cool. We gave people a snapshot of, of that, and there's there's some key points along your journey which we're going to explore. But l- let's go back to where it all began, as we do when we, we hear people's stories. Tell us a bit about your childhood. What was that like? I had a pretty normal sort of childhood, non-Christian uh, upbringing. Um, uh, I've got a tradesman as a dad. My two brothers are tradespe- tradespeople. We grew up in a mining town. I did an apprenticeship uh, with the Water Authority, um, kind of hands-on sort of um, childhood riding around uh, on bikes without hats and no, nothing on our, on our feet, you know, in the northwest of Western Australia, it doesn't get much better than that. So. Right. Uh, and were your family a family of faith? Was there no, that involved at, no, at a young age or no not? Fa- no faith. Um, Dad had had a, a, an experience early on in life that sort of took him, he was closed off to, to faith. Um, it's since times, uh, my mum's, um, you know, become Christian, but Dad's bit closed off to it so mm. uh, and yeah so definitely a non-christian background mm. yeah now i know from your story that there was bullying for you at school mm. and and you know it's interesting when we we talk about that now because i think a lot of us who are of a an older age shall we say we don't necessarily think of it particularly as bullying mm. you know it just kind of was what you put up with yeah. at school back then but tell us a bit about that for you well you know you 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 either conform when you're at school, uh, and if you don't, you don't conform. Um, you know, certain groups. Uh, there's there's issues, isn't there? And I remember we had uh, rival towns, and there was a, a rivalry with 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 another town. But I I was always pretty timid, and um, you know, I didn't appreciate being you know um, being bullied. And it was probably a, a, a group, um, and not all the time. But if you didn't toe the line, you would you know you'd be. Hmm. Um, it'd be weight of numbers and they had the tough kids and, and that sort of thing. So I wouldn't say it was um, a huge issue, but it, I definitely was bullied at school. Yeah, wow. That's a, 
It's a, that's a not a good thing at all. Tell us about how that panned out. What did it look like for you as a young boy growing up and you're being bullied? How did it play out? Well, I think you, it's probably a bit different these days when you've got the online presence and, you know, that's more complicated even mm. even more. But this whole issue of being isolated and, and you know, you go into your bedroom, you do you share it with your parents? Do, who do you have to share with? And I, I yeah. think I struggled that I didn't really, I had a good uh, relationship with my mother and my, maybe I shared a little bit with her, but probably struggled because I did, didn't have anybody really to share with. And you, you look for a mentor, don't you? You really mm. need someone to kind of yeah. say, how are you going in life? And uh, so I think I probably struggled in, in that way. Your dad didn't play that role for you? No, dad Dad was a quiet sort of guy and, and typical. Dad's 75 now and uh, his his done well with his life he's a very gentle and humble man but someone who who's not he's not given to coaching and and that sort of thing so it's very uh, mm. yeah very yeah. introverted i i saw mm. a quote earlier today actually ironically um and it said something along the lines of this is not word for word but something along mm. the lines of it's not necessarily the trauma um that we face as kids, but the fact that we face that alone, yes, that is actually the problem. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's so true, yeah. isn't it? Good boy, mate. Be- yeah. Because, you know, we all go through it, but, it, it, you know, whether we have a good support base, whether that's parents or grandparents or somebody in our life that we can talk mm-hmm. that stuff through, mm-hmm. yeah. depends on whether we deal with that well or whether yeah. we carry that into our adulthood. Absolutely. And I thought, wow, yeah. that's so true. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, let's fast forward a few years because that obviously would have shaped you to some degree. But uh, ironically, then there was some degree of abuse or bullying mm-hmm. when you s- left school and you started your apprenticeship. Tell yeah. us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So the first three years of my apprenticeship, I, I faced a fair amount of, um, in the 80s, you know, you'd have tricks played on you. I mean, I can remember getting a haircut, being held down and having a haircut with tin snips. Wow. Um, having, so some of, the, wow. some of these tricks w- that were humorous actually physically injured me. And so... Right. Um, and, you know, back in those times, I didn't actually connect it as, as abuse. I just thought, this is just what happens. This mm. is just life, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't yeah. until the beginning of my fourth year of my, my apprenticeship, uh, one of the tradespeople stood up and said, and I wasn't around, he said, uh, everybody's got to stop it. You, this guy's never going to be anything unless you all just back off and give him a chance. And wow. then I actually began to thrive in that fourth wow. and final year, which is, I'm just so thankful that one but one man had the ch- the courage to do that. Wow. It's just a shame it took him so long, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, right, I mean, th- this is the bigger picture, and, and I want, I suppose, men listening right now who might be able to relate to that, because we do do as men. Mm. There's a kind of like a bonding mm-hmm. that we have, but it's generally through, you know, yeah. physical stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a bit of rough and tumble, and it's, but it's a bit playful. Yeah. Um, and we often take it as, oh, well, it's playful, so therefore it's okay. okay. Even yeah. though I'm not actually okay with it, or it hurts me yeah. in this case physically yeah. or emotionally, yeah. I feel like she really hurt by that, or I don't feel was, safe. There was by a that. lot of verbal stuff as well, a lot of put put downs and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. No. That's uh, that's true. And uh, so, how did that play out for you in terms of you personally? Did it affect you your confidence? Did it affect you know things you did around people? How did it play out? First year of my apprenticeship, I didn't drink or smoke pot or any any of those things, but I got drawn into those things, and I was actually introduced to both of those through the through the workplace. And I think I mm-hmm. um, I didn't look I didn't need to look at my pain because I would go to substances. I would go to alcohol and marijuana, and you know, yeah. I was smoking cigarettes, and you know that was the lifestyle. 
Yeah. 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 Okay. So, I, I mean, you, you said there that, that, that you were using those things mm. to cope, mm. right? So, I suppose let's explore that because let's be honest, a, a lot of us over the years have had unhealthy coping mechanisms and we, we don't necessarily see it at that, uh, you know, when we start mm. down this track mm-hmm. and yet often then it's 10, 15 years down the track where we go, hold on a second. Yep. Uh, now I'm actually really struggling with this. Mm. If I wanted to give this up, I actually can't. Yes. So I suppose this would be ideal yeah. then for us to, to talk then for the next step with mm. you, which was alcohol. Yes. And one of those things was alcohol. Mm. And this actually led to a problem in this area for you or dependence yeah. upon alcohol for you. Huge, yeah. And I probably was aware, um, I mean, I drank for 15 years and I would say I was, I'd be aware for half of that journey that I had a problem. But it was... I. I didn't really face it. I just didn't face it. And it was probably in the last year, um, you know, toward the end of my, my first marriage, and it was one of the issues that, that was the, the deal breaker, hmm. um, where I wanted to. And, I, and I, gave, I, I, I gave it up for a month or two here and there, and all, but it was always drawn back into it. And the last couple hmm. of years in that journey, I used alcohol to de-stress. And, hmm. and it, was a, a, it was just an unhealthy pattern of... You know, binge drinking. You know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, kind of thing, and and having a couple of days off in midweek to recover. And mm. um, I could, I could, I could hide away. And the irony is, I was such a hypocrite. I was a safety managed state safety manager for Shell, and I was breathalysing truck drivers. And here I am. <laughs> these guys are teachers most of the time, and I, here I am, the one with the problem. Right. So it was. It's a horrible thing to have to hide. Isn't it? And that's what mm. I—that's what I learned from that. Mm. So, so, what was it at that point that led you to go to AA? Was it just getting to the end of yourself when you said, "I really got to do something," or was it? What was the catalyst to drive that? I couldn't have done it myself, Des. To be honest, uh, it was the twenty-second yeah. of September, two thousand and three. My marriage ended that night, and I did everything oh. I possibly could to win my ex-wife back for nine months. Mm. And one of those things was, you know, I. I I went to AA meetings for the, the first night, the second night, the third night, and I was doing them five nights a week for that for that wow. period. And it wasn't until you know you got to the nine month mark, I'd, and by then by that t- t- time I was well and truly on my st- on on my recovery, you know, uh, recovering and well and truly into the steps and um, mm. and back into the church at that at that point. So um, I couldn't have done it myself. So so let me ask you then, Steve. Um, and again, on behalf of guys listening right now who might be dealing with this themselves, mm. what it's hard to put a percentage on it, but how much do you think the alcohol and the binge drinking on the weekend, how much did that affect your marriage? How much was that a cause for the downfall well, of the marriage, Well, if you were going to put think? a percentage on it, probably I reckon 30 or 40%. Right. And the rest of it was that I was for two years so career-driven that I was flying left, right and centre all over the country mm. doing stuff. Uh, and my head was in, in, in the job and climbing cl- the corporate ladder. Mm. I took my eye off the ball of the family and no wonder my, yeah. my wife started looking elsewhere for affection. Mm. Uh, I And I'm so glad. I, and immediately I, I knew straight into that. And, and for, for that reason, we've actually had a pretty harmonious separation and divorce because I just owned up to it. I'd, I I was the one that mm. dropped the ball. Mm. Wow. I see. I can relate so much to that, Steve, in terms of my first marriage. Uh, you know, the corporate ladder and, the, and all that stuff, and you get excited about it. It is your momentum in, the, in that sense of the word, and it motivates you. And you come back home and you feel 
oh, I should be doing something else. And in my world, it was IT. But, you know, there's lots and lots of men who do that. They're maybe they're accountants or they're, you know, whatever they do. But, you know, their identity is in what they are doing, not in who they are. And, and I certainly missed out on a lot of time with my family and my kids for that very reason. And so I can relate to what you're saying. Steve, if I, if I may then, um, th- there's a couple of things that I, I suppose out of that I want to ask you. The first is you mentioned something about faith mm-hmm. there. So mm-hmm. tell me along this journey, where did faith kick in for you? So um, my first wife and I were baptized immediately after we were married, 1990. So I went 13 years living a fake, fake faith, mm. you know, trying to get it, trying to understand, and nothing really changed in my heart. And I, so therefore I mm. had these practices, these habits that I couldn't shift. And it was only when everything fell away and I had nothing left, really literally, um, you know, lose your home, your wife, major access to your children, you have to change jobs, all of that. It was then that God got my attention and it's God God was all I had. Hmm. And I had to literally, um, I, you know, I was on my knees, was broken, a broken man ready hmm. to be rebuilt by, hmm. by the grace of God. So, you know, ever since then, praise, praise God, you know, I've been on this journey of, well, you know, recovery and, and, and you are. I think once you've you've lost a marriage, you're kind of in recovery mode for you know, and that's okay. You know, mm. that keeps us keeps us walking humbly with God. You know, it's it's interesting, and and we've probably all got similar stories in the fact that there's been a moment in our lives that we've been brought to our knees, mm. and I think sadly for a lot of guys, it sometimes takes that to to get us into a place yeah. of humility yeah. and actually reaching out to the Lord yeah. in those moments. Yeah. Um, let me then ask you about that journey mm. post separation that mm. you were doing. You were broken. You mm. lost everything. Yeah. You know, and now you're doing this journey with the Lord. Mm. Tell us a bit about what that was like for you. What were some of the key things, I suppose, that that you were dealing with at that stage? Well, I really massively needed people in my life, um, and I, that's probably the one reason that I got out of AA meetings is going and meeting with people, and then suddenly within three months, I'm drawn back into the church. And I'm so thankful that that church actually drew me into their leadership circle and I was around good people and I was getting a lot of mentoring. I was being daily, you know, and, and I, was, I was soaking it all up. I was loving it, you know, because I'm on this journey. And within 12 months, um, I'm, you know, I'm receiving this call of God to go and study uh, at Bible college and become a pastor because, you know, the, the help that you get, I receive so much help. Hmm. that you just want to, you, you see, you see the impact of that help. You see the miracles that happen in your own life. I mean, I didn't need, I've never missed drinking because of something that God did in all of that. And, hmm. and, uh, hmm. and you know, God does something with all of it. And he wants you, first, uh, Second Corinthians uh, chapter 1 talks about, you know, this. Ho- once you've received the help of God, you want to give that help. You want to serve others. And that's, hmm. that's what makes hmm. my heart beat these days. Hmm. You know, Des and I can totally 100% relate to that. And, mm. and essentially, that is why Momentum exists mm. today. And, you know, you talked about uh, having people around you. And, uh, you know, Des and I and, and all of the team at Momentum, we are 110% sold out to the fact that men should not be doing life in isolation. Mm. Yeah. And so we're going to take a short break. But before we do that and say, ch- please check out our website, MomentumAustralia.org. 
because you'll find a bunch of stuff there, resources to help you out in your journey. Uh, if you need some help along your journey, you can reach out to us as well and we can try and point you in the, in the right direction. But also encourage you to get connected within a community wherever you are around Australia at the moment. We'd love you to do that. We're going to come back and talk about the importance of that in Steve's journey, plus how things turned around when you actually went back to church and started going to Bible college. We'll come back and explore the story. There's a lot more to listen to on the other side of this, Momentum. In the meantime, have a look around the website, MomentumAustralia.org. Welcome back to Momentum. It is uh, Tim and Des back with you and our special guest still in the studio is Pastor Steve Wickham. And Steve, we've uh, skimmed through the first part of your your story and we've kind of left it in the fact that uh, you were having some struggles with alcohol and Mm -hmm. some other things happening in your marriage. You were working a lot and ultimately this led to the the downfall of your marriage. Uh, This was in 2003. And all of a sudden you find yourself on your own. And, you know, we, we... stopped just before the break and and you were highlighting the importance of having people around you at that stage Uh, and before we move on from that I just want to Des if you don't mind just just kind of highlight that again because you know we we the three of us here have stories and I'm sure men listening right now have stories of where they've just found themselves on their own in life Mm. Um, and also even if it's not that we found ourselves in that space men tend to not deal with stuff well we don't want to come out we tend to run into our man caves when stuff happens as opposed to find a community to help us through so let's talk about for you just Mm. the importance of then finding those people and how did you go about that yeah going to AA was the accidental way of of developing these sorts of relationships and uh, had a couple of uh, key sponsors in that but there were so many men who, who would just open up that was that what that was how the how they did it that's how you did it hmm. and uh, I there were so many evenings where you know or so many times when you would just be um, wanting want to draw in on yourself and just stay at home or or that sort of thing but it was only when you when I went out and actually uh, mixed with other people that I got the support that I needed. You know, I'd be anxious and driven by anxiety to catch up with one of these key uh, sponsors or, or mentors. And he'd have me write in 10 or 15 minutes. You mm. know, we would just connect. Mm. And there was something, you know, you don't call it magical. I think it's the, the power of God in that, in, in just being with one another, encouraging, you know, and just speaking some some words of life and um, speaking some words of truth as well because we lose insight. We so, so easily lose insight when we're, when we're stuck in our own world. Mm. And we actually need... We need people to show us more, to broaden our horizon, so to speak. So mm. that was definitely, and I, I, I needed that. I, I was, I was absolutely broken day by day. Uh, you know, there's some good days there, but m- most days were just absolutely smashed. Some panic attacks, uh, you know, um, suicidal ideations, these sorts of things, because I just lost everything. And mm. uh, how do you rebuild? Mm. So for for men listening right now who might be going through a tough season in their life. Uh, whatever that may look like for them. Mm. Um, and, you know, th- th- they're purposely staying away. Mm. They're, they're hiding in the man cave. And I don't mm. mean that disrespectfully, mm. but just they just don't want to talk yep. to people. They don't want to have to deal with it to some degree. They're just kind of coping on their own. Mm. What would you say to encourage them to step out and find a community? Just about every man knows how you feel. That's that's the thing, you know. We we all yeah. we all want to draw in. We all want to get. We all we all want to uh, isolate. Uh, it's it's very typical, and um, the only way we can get help is by taking the risk and go, getting finding those trusted, wise people who we can f- feel safe around and just connect because connect connection is 
is what we need when we're struggling with de- depression, anxiety, those those things. And it works. It works. You know, and it's uh, you know I just can't um, can't talk enough about that. I know in 2012 I had a um, a foundational learning in studying uh, counselling, and that I was again withdrawing from men. And, mm. and it was through a secular uh, sociologist, uh, Robert Bly, and something he'd written that actually God got my attention and said, you've got to throw yourself back into fellowship with men because mm. this is what you this is what you need. And it actually took me on, on another you know, trajectory as far as there's, there's, there's the courage you feel, there's the confidence you feel. All of this is dri- driven by connection, connection with others and particularly mm. to connection with men. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And yeah, you know, one of the interesting things is that if you go up to a guy and you say, "How are you going?" He'll say, "I'm okay." And and those conversations happen in men's connects. They happen everywhere, right? But it, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about a conversation where you're prepared to be open and honest and raw with somebody who you trust. And and that's the key thing about men's uh, men's connects or men's men getting together. It's not just about the social time you can have and talking about the footy and whatever. It is absolutely about getting alongside somebody and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm really struggling with this." And you know, what what, what what's your advice? It's that sort of conversation, isn't it? Well, I know in the emergency services we say, "Are they triple okay?" So you don't just ask, "Are they okay?" You dig a bit deeper mm. and you invite yeah. the person to open up. Look, this is safe. I, I actually would like. I would. I want to listen. I, I'm curious about you. I, I care for you. I love you. Yeah. You know. And there's no there's no shame in saying to us, um, you know, to f- fellow men, we've got a love for each other. We we understand what it's like to feel isolated and mm. that it's it's horrible to go down that sinkhole. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That would be pretty confronting what you've just said though. Mm. For for some men listening right now mm. to hear that men can say I love you to another man. Mm. Um you know, but the reality is that I think uh you know, part of it is that the stigma that we need to break through mm. and go well the reality is, you know, we, we are all dealing with something to some degree. Mm. And yep. you know, I think one of the biggest stigmas we need to break through and you said this Steve was that when you get with other men you suddenly realize that I'm not the only one. Exactly. That I'm yeah. not just the only one that struggles with this or is dealing with this or has been through this or whatever all of a sudden you go mm-hmm. like, "Oh wow. Okay. Uh actually we're pretty much all the same." <laughs> we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's the enemy that wants to isolate us and and make us feel like we're the only mm. ones. Right. Right. Let, let's keep moving with your story. Um, you had a pastoral position in 2006, and this is where things turned for you. Mm. You met your second wife, Sarah. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about, I suppose, how that sparked mm. for you, especially after you've gone on this journey. You've gone through the divorce. You've gone on this healing journey yourself. And now, all of a sudden, you meet this person, probably when you weren't expecting to meet her. Yes, definitely. I think uh, I had a few years of really struggling to be alone and it was only really after I suppose several months of actually really enjoying being alone finding that suddenly I, I could actually enjoy my own company uh, mm-hmm. that I met Sarah at uh, bridal college sorry bible college uh, they that's a they, they warned me when I went to bible college you might meet your, your future <laughs> wife and you know, I think, you know the, the interesting thing out of the three it was three years to the day that um, we started courting and I thought I was really, really well, well prepared, mm. but I st- still had a lot of preparation to make, uh, to, to be, yeah. to, to marry well. And the interesting thing about our marriage is our first good year was year four. 
because you've got a blended family. Wow. You've got, mm. um, you know, these um, yes. uh, three daughters and it's not it's not simple making it work. Um, but she is mm. just a great wife. So, now, I mean, that's a really important thing um, in terms of the blended marriage. I'd love to get your thoughts on that because you know, there'll be so many men listening um, who maybe don't have children themselves and they're thrust into a marriage where they've got, you know, maybe young children or teenagers or, you know, maybe they have kids of their own and they're trying to work this blended stuff, one plus one equals three sort of stuff. So so what advice would you give to men in that space? It's not simple. Uh, years two and three of uh, Sarah's and my marriage, we had my eldest daughter who was 16, 17, 18 in that period and it was, it was, mm-hmm. was hell. And it was mm-hmm. hell for all three of us. And I sought uh, solace at, at work, which was good that I had a you know good job at the time. But it was so hard. Um, but yet God worked in all of that. Um, God worked in Sarah's heart. Um, you know, it's something that was, we've been able to redeem with my my eldest daughter. It's all good now. But it was it was hard. And yeah. well, I, I don't want to. I just I don't want to sugarcoat. I just think it's it's hard and. Mm. One thing that peacemaking, you know, I'm uh, being involved in peacemaking ministry is that teaches us is about getting the log out of our own eye. It's the only thing that that, that can actually help. Uh, I look at my own contribution to conflicts, but there was a lot of counselling. We did a lot of couples counselling in that period, and um, it was actually mm-hmm. me that I had to learn to kind of dethrone my eldest daughter and and bring my wife in, and that was that mm. took a couple of years to learn. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's an important message, really is. I mean, dethroning is, is an interesting word to use, but but it is appropriate because you've you've put this girl on a, a pedestal, your you know, firstborn daughter or whatever, and and you love her and you adore her, and all of a sudden there's somebody else who is effectively competition. Hmm. And that's actually another nuance is that she be, had become a support, you know, and it's unfair in some ways for a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl to kind of be an emotional hmm. support. I was emotional support a lot of the time for her, hmm. but there were times when, you know, you're broken and, and she was that for me. Hmm. Uh, Des, great question. And I think, to be honest, Steve, what, what we might actually do is get Steve back and actually talk about the whole step parenting thing because, to be honest, there's a whole there's a whole series that we could probably do on step parenting yes. because it is it is tough. It is tricky. I've walked that journey twice yeah. now myself. And being a step parent is is certainly a hard thing to do. Let's just park that there for a moment. One thing before we, we run out of time that I really want to talk about is in 2014, mm. you and Sarah were trying for a family, I think. Uh, I don't know that you had your own kids at this stage. We had a son in 2013, right? Um, and he was an IVF baby, um, and we had a natural conception mm. in 2014, and it was our only natural conception. But we learned at the 19-week scan um, some horrible news. You know that that he was growing well, but he had a diaphragmatic hernia, and he had uh, issues with internal organ, and he had a um, a, a condition called Pallister-Killian syndrome. It was growing like a steam train, but. Mm. Um, it was a it was an abnormal pregnancy, and he ultimately came was stillborn at about thirty seven weeks. So, the the experience of meeting uh, your deceased child uh, and and you know um, being having him for about eight days and we you know, the funeral and that sort of thing was was very formational, very very much. Wow. 
So how did you cope with with that, Steve? I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly people listening who would go, wow, how did you manage to keep your faith in God through that time? How did you do that? Well, I was uh, associate pastor at a church at that point, a fairly large church, and uh, lots of support and prayer. And we had, I was blogging, I'm a blogger, and I was blogging live about how we were going and, you know, the brokenness of the journey. And uh, we had mm. literally people... Uh, all over the world praying for praying for us and but i think we felt carried by by intercessory prayer and we were also carried mm. by our faith and we just saw god show up in so many different ways and even even in yeah. you know just just ways and as we were talking about before des you know the the whole issue of um confronting situations you don't know if you've got the courage to deal with and yes. you know yes. god god shows up in those moments mm. and and you are able to do these things mm. Um, Amazing. You, you've, gen- I mean, look, th- there's, there's so many questions we could even ask about that, and, and we don't mean to skim, skim mm-hmm. over that. But you've, you've journaled, essentially the whole journey, mm-hmm. uh, and your wife Sarah is a professional photographer, yep. and you guys have put together a book called Shining Gift of God, and it's a memoir to Nathaniel. Yep. Um, tell us a bit about the book, and I suppose some of the, the stuff that's in that mm-hmm. that men listening right now who perhaps have walked that journey mm-hmm. um, or you know mm-hmm. are just really interested in when you meet that level of grief and question mm. uh, how do you process that as a Christian and go Lord where are you in all of that and that's how I processed it I wrote I wrote about it and we you know um, for me it's just being transparent and there's a lot of raw grief in, in the book so there's four months of um, daily or, or most days of jour- you know journaling via a blog and uh, putting those into a, for the four months and then him coming and then eight months of grief afterwards and uh, mm. four months of, of weeks and eight months no four four months of days and eight months of weeks because you know there's 120 odd days of those four months where you know they were, they were, they were, it was a, a, ro- a real roller coaster. Mm. Um, but I found writing was was a good outlet to process the grief that was you know live. You, you know situations like that will often. I mean, the stress on the couple in those mm. moments like is is huge, mm. right? And and some couples don't make it. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Yep. Yep. Some couples find that when things like this happen, you know, they they just it, it implodes the marriage. Mm. Tell us a bit about mm. how then you and Sarah coped through this season. Mm-hmm. And didn't allow that to happen. In fact, it's probably pulled you closer mm, together. Yeah. So, what were the keys in that? I think the, the the one key was that we wanted to make every day count while we had him alive. Uh, so we we considered him a human being while he's in the in the womb. We we took him out on dates. Um, we were very um, wow. you know we would talk about it with one another. Uh, Sarah's a very pragmatic sort of person, so she would she would occasionally break down, but most of the time she was pretty hardy and and just got on with it. Um, there was a lot of medical intervention that had to happen in this period as well. Eight, uh, Sarah had eight am- amnio reduction, so uh, procedures where they put a needle into the into the womb and withdraw. There was so much amniotic fluid that she was mm. so her health was at risk as well. Her med her med- yeah. um, uh, but I think I know we just. We just shared the journey together, and um, you know, uh, it wasn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I guess, for, for us, it's it's God showing up in our in our journey, and just walking one day at a time. And that's something I, I learned yeah. right back in the early earliest days of faith. 
just one day at a time. Yes, it's an amazing, amazing story. And, you know, uh, for Sarah too, I mean, it's huge for her, um, particularly her as a mother producing a, a stillborn baby. And, and uh, I mean, thank you for sharing that, by the way. That's, that's amazing that you, you're prepared to do that because it, 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 you would always reflect on it, right? We need to share our stories, don't we? Um, mm. But thanks, Des. Yeah, we do. Just reiterating, if you would like to read the story in full, um, the book is Shining Gift of God, um, Sarah, uh, Steve and Sarah Wickham, and uh, you can find that online. Yeah, that's on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. if you'd like to, to look at the book and, and, and see what the journey was actually like. Steve, we're at the end of time for, for this show, but let me just quickly, before we wrap up, ask you, because we've covered so much ground today, and to be honest, I think we've skimmed over some <laughs> fairly important stuff. But look, as we just as we wrap up the show, um, can I ask you for three or five things that you could, you, you've learned along the journey? And let's be honest, there's so mm. many different facets of life and so yeah. many different men that you could impact and reach out to and have advice for. Yep. Yep. But generically, three or five things in your life that are keys yep. for you being healthy and whole and, and journeying through what you've journeyed through well yep. um, that you can give men today. Well, first of all, go gently. If you're going through grief or you're going through ment- mental uh, health issues or that sort of thing, go gently. Uh, the Desiderata prayer was uh, a poem was very important in my earliest sort of days. Um, go gently, connect with others. Uh, don't be afraid, uh, especially if people are, are going to embrace you and there are plenty of those people in the world. So seek them out. If you don't have, don't have them, I mean, this is where the local church can be really powerful in our lives, and I think you you're drawn toward that. Um, I think um, be open to to your own truth. Don't be open to what truth is. I mean, I love the prayer out of Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Mm. God, show me my heart. Show me where there's any sort of any anything that needs to be dealt with. Mm. Um, because God shows up in that, and there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm. Because there's only life on the other side. Mm. So yeah, they're, they're just a couple of things that I would that I would share in in that. Yeah, Steve, we're going to get you back next week because there's so much more that we can talk about. But one thing that we have talked about this week is the fact that the marriage fell apart partly because you were so engrossed in your work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so we wanted to talk a bit more about that. And Des, I know you've got a similar story, and you you'll probably end up chipping in the next week's show as well. Yep. But this uh, this sense of identity mm-hmm. and living with a sense of purpose for men, which is important, yep. we're wired to do that. Yep. But how do we separate that from our identity and how do we balance that well with yeah. being dads yeah. and grandfathers when we get older and doing life so that we're not, mm. you know, we're not just investing mm-hmm. into one area of our lives hugely, but then letting our family down. How do we carry all of that as men? And I want to really speak into that space yeah. next week. That's going to be yeah. a next week's show. In the meantime, we'd love you to check out the website. It is MomentumAustralia.org. You can hear previous shows of uh, Momentum. But also, if you'd like to uh, get some, some support, some prayer support, if you'd like to uh, check out some, uh, some things there that will help you in your journey, you can find it at MomentumAustralia.org. And we are a not-for-profit organization and ministry. If you'd love to put a few bucks towards keeping Momentum on air, we'd be really appreciative of that too. MomentumAustralia.org is the website. Steve Wickham has been our special guest. Look forward to chatting with you again next week, Steve. Yeah. And Des, as always, mate, it's been a pleasure yeah. doing the show with you. We That's will true. catch you next That's week. amazing story. Absolutely. You've been listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum. Momentum.